Good evening. 20 years since the 9-11 attacks bring soul-searching by political leaders. What went wrong? Unrest in Chile on the anniversary of a coup backed by Henry Kissinger. And locals protest a plant to bulldoze a beloved park and cut down a thousand trees in the East Village. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Sunday, September 12, 2021. The world solemnly marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11 on Saturday, grieving lost lives and shattered American unity. The commemorations are unfolding just weeks after the bloody end of the Afghanistan war that was launched in response to the terror attacks. At the Shanksville, Pennsylvania site, where passengers and crew fought to regain control of a plane believed to have been targeted at the U.S. Capitol or the White House, former President George W. Bush said September 11th showed that Americans can come together despite their differences. But in a telling remark, Bush says a new terrorism threat now hangs over the United States. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them. Former President George W. Bush speaking reporter with reporters at the Volunteer Fire Department in Shanksville, uh, in Shanksville, President Joe Biden praised Bush's comments. Biden says the United States has to prove to the world democracy works. I think the real issue is going to be, are we going to, in the next four, five, six, ten years, demonstrate that democracies can work or not? How about a long conversation with President Xi for over an hour and a half? And I've had that uh, one-on-one summit with Putin, and I've spoken with others. There's a lot of autocrats who truly believe that democracies can't function in the 21st century. It's not a joke. They think because the world is changing so rapidly and people are so divided, you can't bring people together in a democracy to get a consensus. And the only ones that are going to be able to succeed are the autocrats. That's why it's, that's the thing that's going to affect our well-being, knowing that we actually can, in fact, lead by the example of our power again. I think we can do it. President Biden and former President Bush left out of his speech one act he made that has reverberated over the last two decades. Just weeks after the attacks, then President Bush spoke before signing into law the USA Patriot Act. Still in effect, the law made it much easier for the government to spy on Americans, eliminating decades of law meant to protect constitutional rights. We're dealing with terrorists who operate by highly sophisticated methods and technologies, some of which were not even available when our existing laws were written. The bill before me takes account of the new realities and dangers posed by modern terrorists. And as importantly, we're changing the culture of our various agencies that fight terrorism. Countering and investigating terrorist activity is the number one priority for both law enforcement and intelligence agencies. Surveillance of communications is another essential tool to pursue and stop terrorists. 
Existing law was written in the era of rotary telephones. This new law that I signed today will allow surveillance of all communications used by terrorists, including emails, the Internet, and cell phones. As of today, we'll be able to better meet the technological challenges posed by this proliferation of communications technology. Then President Bush speaking in October 2001. The Patriot Act expanded surveillance abilities of law enforcement, including tapping domestic and international phones, made communication between law enforcement agencies easier, increased penalties for terrorism crimes, and expanded the list of activities that would qualify for terrorism charges. But an attorney with the ACLU's National Security Project says Congress rushed passage of the Patriot Act, ushered in a new era of mass surveillance over the next decade. The surveillance expanded dramatically, often in secret, adding the act's so-called successes have often proven to be exaggerated and overstated. And although four of the last five presidents, Bush, Clinton, Obama, and Biden, appeared together in New York on Saturday, the fifth was conspicuous by his absence. Donald Trump stopped by the 17th police precinct in Midtown instead and then a neighboring fire station and answered a question, will he run in 2024? many of you and I just uh, I appreciate it during the election uh, you know the New York City police endorsed Trump you know that right first time they've ever endorsed a candidate they told me first time maybe they do it every time I don't know but they tell me first time they've ever endorsed a candidate for president and uh, it's a great honor having that endorsement meant more to me than anything so I really appreciate it all you hear is words and they become meaningless after a while when you hear some of these politicians talking. I see that's the fake news behind you, so. <laughs> Are you going to run again, Mr. President? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> Actually, for me, it's an easy question. Okay. So, I mean, I know what I'm going to do, but we're not supposed to be talking about it yet from the standpoint of uh, campaign finance laws, which frankly are ridiculous, okay? You want to know the truth, but we have to live with it. But I think you're going to be happy. Let me put it that way, okay? I think you're going to be very happy. Former President Trump in New York City yesterday. Journalist Andrew Coburn has been reporting on the war on terrorists since the beginning. He's author of The Spoils of War, Power, Profit, and the American War Machine. He remembered the Iraqi journalist uh, who threw a shoe at George W. Bush during the war as an example of the former president's hypocrisy. Who will throw the first shoe? If you remember that Iraqi hero <laughs> threw shoes at George Bush, and I think that's what we all really want to do. I mean, it's outrageous for Bush to go on about you know, the unity of past 9-11, which there was, I agree, and there was collective grief, and he did so much to destroy that. He really... You know, I guess we've been used for a long time to our leaders lying to us, but he really compounded it. He did it so carefully and deliberately. It was just recently revealed that three days after 9-11, Bush called Tony Blair to say he was going to attack Iraq with disastrous consequences. So they were scheming. They built the lie immediately. So much of the sort of what's happened since, and indeed what happened on January 6th, stems from the lies. So many people now are just completely fed up and don't trust government, will never trust government again. Not such a great idea what happened on January 6th, but you can see where a lot of that came from. And so I was just disgusted, this jerk sort of pontificating away. You're talking about lying and lies, and that's 
in a way, what Trump is always talking about, Donald Trump has ran on the fact that he would not lie to America, that all these people lied to America. That's why he got all the support that went to Trump. Donald Trump, of course, the way you could say he doesn't tell lies because he has the memory of a goldfish. He can't remember what the truth is, the one excuse for him. But, of course, he lied consistently. He lied on a sort of pathological basis. Out of the mouths of drunks and little children and complete raving idiots like Donald Trump, he occasionally gets some truth. And he was right. That's what helped elect Donald Trump. And we can trace that back to George Bush, too. And beyond, of course. With Biden, do we see anything different? Biden is seems to be pulling out of Afghanistan. He did it in a messed up way, but out it is as America learned its lesson. Well, I think politicians have learned a lesson. Joe Biden learned a lesson that it doesn't really benefit them electorally after a while to have an endless war with no particular point to it. And he figured, I think correctly, there was no political cost to him in this. If he thought there'd been political benefit in staying, he would have done it in a heartbeat. But he knew that people are fed up and fed up with the billions and trillions that have been poured away in this ridiculous endeavor. And, by the way, he didn't have much option because Donald Trump had already effectively surrendered to the Taliban. There wasn't much he could have done to avoid it. The reason that people say, people like Petraeus, neocon chicken hawks are saying, oh, well, he could have stayed, no problem, could have kept a small force there. But the reason that, I mean, part of the deal with the Taliban that Trump made was they'd stop killing American soldiers, which they did. After the Trump made his surrender deal, the Taliban stuck to their part of it and stopped killing Americans. If Biden had stayed, they would have started killing Americans again, which wouldn't have looked too good for him. Who benefited from this war? How much time have we got? Every defense corporation, a whole bunch of new sort of leeches on the public. All these former military marketing marks who went off and started contracting companies to provide security for, for Afghanistan. It was a huge ripple, one of the great thefts in history. Look at the reports of the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan, John Sopko. He's been issuing the quarterly reports since 2011 or 12, detailing the money that was being simply poured away to no good reason. I mean, let's think about the gas station they built, $43 million. They built a gas station. It wasn't an ordinary gas station. It was to supply gas for gas-powered vehicles. Gas guns drive diesel or cars. They keep them running. That was $43 million down the bar. How about the $500 million spent on a fleet of transport planes that were so decrepit that they barely made it into landing at Kabul airport and never flew again. That was a sleazy deal arranged by a former U.S. Air Force general. You can go on and on. So many people made so much money out of this war. I mean, that you know, trillion dollars we hear about or two trillion dollars, most of it went into the pockets of Americans and their friends who walked away with bulging wallets. I mean, that's where the money went. Journalist Andrew Coburn has been reporting on the war on terror since the beginning. He's author of The Spoils of War, Power, Profit, and the American War Machine. And the front runner for mayor of New York City is Eric Adams, a former police captain. Adams remembered a brave officer who, although retired, made a supreme sacrifice on 9-11. As I look over at this uh, memorial and dedication to the countless number of men and women who we lost here, one person comes to mind, Officer Perry. Officer Perry retired on September 11, 2001. And when he heard that the buildings were attacked, he went down to the police equipment section and bought a police 
shirt so he can come here and be identified although he retired. He came to the site to help his other officers and colleagues. And when the buildings collapsed, we lost Officer Perry inside the buildings. He gave his life when he didn't have to. So although he retired from the department, he did not retire from the humanity of giving back to his fellow New Yorkers. And I remember Officer Perry and the countless number of New Yorkers who we lost here. He's a symbol of what made us great and why we will continue to be great as a city. Eric Adams is the front runner for mayor of New York City. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. September 11th, besides being the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, is uh, also the anniversary of the 1973 coup in Chile that toppled the democratically elected government of Salvador Allende. On Saturday, hundreds of Chileans fought police in the capital of Santiago, battling riot police using batons, gas, and water cannons. Peter Kornblu is senior analyst with the National Security Archive. He says the criminality came from then-Secretary of State under Nixon, Henry Kissinger, who he says was obsessed with bringing down the Allende government. Fifty years ago, Chileans elected by a narrow margin, but still elected a socialist president. It was the first free and democratic election of a socialist leader in, in Latin America and, in fact, in the world. It scared the out of Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon on the radio. It scared the pants off of high-level U.S. Cold War policymakers who really feared the idea that a socialist leader could be elected freely. What was the United States going to object to if democratic forces around the world started to elect socialist leaders? And so for Chileans, it was an amazing step forward for U.S. Cold War policymakers, Richard Nixon, Henry Kissinger, and others. It was an alarm bell uh, that Latin America might move out of their control and that successful Salvador Allende in Chile might create a phenomena of replication, not only in Latin America, but in Europe as well. How did they respond? They responded almost immediately with contingency plans to try and block Allende's inauguration. And then when that failed by a whole set of operations to sabotage his ability to govern, destabilize Chile and foster what the CIA called a coup climate that, quote, set the stage, unquote, as CIA documents put it, for the September 11th, 1973 coup d'etat led by Augusto Pinochet. And in that coup, what happened? Pinochet took over the country. Salvador Allende committed suicide instead of uh, being taken prisoner by the Chilean military. Pinochet instituted one of the bloodiest, most infamous military dictatorships in Latin American history. His name became synonymous. The name Pinochet became synonymous with human rights atrocities, international terrorism, torture, disappearances, executions created an incredible movement in the United States of America to make human rights a top priority in U.S. foreign policy and a, a real backlash when Seymour Hersh at the New York Times revealed that the CIA had been so deeply involved in 
covertly subverting Chilean democracy. So it really created a, a moment of appreciation for the American public about what their government was doing in their name but without their knowledge and, and led to a, a pretty significant backlash, which unfortunately has been forgotten in this day and age. How does this all relate to what's happening in today's politics? Well, we once again have uh, an imperial-minded uh, president, if you will, who not only uses his bully pulpit for, for words but thinks it's perfectly fine for the United States to have uh, might and right to control other countries around the world. You see his approach to Iran, you see his approach to Venezuela, to Cuba, and other countries that he, that he doesn't like. That has gotten the United States in deep trouble uh, in the past, and it will get us in deep trouble in the future. So the lessons of Chile and, and what we, the sins of what we did there are still around to haunt us. Peter Kornblue, senior analyst with the National Security Archive, the interview was conducted last year. And closer to home, there was a place that was a refuge for New Yorkers on 9-11. That was East River Park. The 50-acre park lies along east, the East River waterfront and uh, is over uh, used by uh, tens if not hundreds of thousands of people in the surrounding neighborhood. Yesterday, many residents, hundreds of residents, gathered to protest a plan by the city to raise the park by 10 feet as part of a flood control project that would chop down nearly 1,000 trees. And some of the organizers of yesterday's protests in the park spoke out against the city project. Obviously, the trees are really beautiful right here. If you go a little ways up the Esplanade, there's a circle. There's more awesome. There's 991 trees in this park. We're basically all here to say how completely important green space is to us in our neighborhood. It's people are always talking about environmental justice neighborhood. De Blasio loves to talk about environmental justice. He loves to talk about climate resiliency. This is an EJ neighborhood. right here. This is the only park that those people and a lot of us who live in the neighborhood have access to. We don't have summer homes. We don't go to Maine and Massachusetts like DeBazio. We need this place. And this place, the trees in this park protect us from FDR. The plan should be covering FDR, decking FDR, not destroying this park. This is not flood control. the little metal tags on the trees and the uh, the deal is that the, the ones that have the metal tags are going to be cut down they're too big to transplant but the, the uh, project will reuse them as park benches or some kind of furniture and uh, so it's uh, uh, supposed to be make us feel better about all these trees getting cut down. We talk to people all the time who are surprised to find out that they're going to cut down all these trees, all these trees that you're enjoying. And that was yesterday at East River Park. The project is scheduled to begin this fall. And that's some of the news for Sunday, September 12, 2021. The news was produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Max Schmid. Reporting from New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>